Happy Easter. Y'all can talk back to me. That's one of the rules here. You can go ahead and talk back to me. Happy Easter. That makes me feel better. Uh, if you're visiting, my name is Peter. I serve as the lead pastor of the Springs. And I just want to stop and thank you for joining us. Uh, we're going to have a good time with the, the last few hours of our service here. Um, now, I'm going to share for about 30 minutes from God's heart. And what we're going to do is we're going to go back into our series, our study in the book of Colossians, which is my favorite book in the Bible. Uh, this series, we're in week seven now. This is our all and nothing series. We just sang the song, Jesus paid it all. So if Jesus paid the whole bill for my eternal feast, then the bill that's left for me to pay, if you're a math whiz, anyone? That would be zero, zero dollars, zero pesos, zero nothing, all and nothing. And I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet with me to uh, honor God's word. We're going to be picking up, we're in the second half of this book. We're in chapter 3, verse 1. It's four chapters of Colossians. We're in chapter 3. I'm going to read the first four verses. If then you have been raised, in essence, from the dead, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not the things that are on the earth. For you have died And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then also you will appear with him in glory. God's word. Thank you. Y'all can be seated as we pray. God, please add a supernatural blessing to the reading of your word that's way beyond my ideas or thoughts or the best that I can communicate. And God, help us to do the stuff that your word commands here. And whatever gets in the way of that, Lord, help us. Whatever gets in the way of us actually setting our minds on you, whatever distractions on our cell phones or schedules with our holidays, Lord, I pray for an opportune moment, a change in our focus that our grandkids would learn of. Easter 2017. God, you rose from the dead and you can raise us to a new focus, to set our minds on you so much so that all the sorrows and earthly things that weigh us down could be cast aside and shaken off. And that's our prayer. Help us. Amen. Amen. Today, more than two billion people on this spinning thing called earth are celebrating a verifiable miracle that happened almost 2,000 years ago. And as familiar as we are with the story and the holidays and, of course, the pastel colors, you need to know how strange and incomparable it is that our entire faith, our religion, if you will, rises or falls on the credibility of one singular event, this thing called the resurrection of Jesus that happened in Jerusalem. There's been a whole bunch of attempts to disprove it. And it happened in the city that it would have been most easy to disprove. And yet, none of these arguments or attempts have been able to disprove that Jesus really did die and he really did 
raised from the dead, and all of the arguments that have been really come against that assertion have really been buried in the grave. Really, they were just as hollow as the empty tomb that they couldn't explain. And you also need to know that there, there are 500 people who saw this guy dying and dead, and then they saw him three days later, super duper not dead, and he remained like that for 40 days until he ascended into heaven. And they just went, around, went on blabbering about it to the whole world. When they were tortured, scrutinized, put to death, and they just went on telling the story and never changed, they went to their graves super joyful. And we're left to figure out, like, why? There's a lot of reasons that people come up with, a lot of movies that try to, to theorize why, why these people could be so joyful in the story of Jesus resurrecting. I mean, what happened? Why did 500 people say they were eyewitnesses of this guy? Did they just all drink the same red drink? I think them being crazy and them being like identically crazy is not a reasonable argument. The only reason is I'll just give you the answer. Jesus really is alive. And more importantly, more fundamentally for them is they knew that the same Jesus that rose again from the dead had risen them to new life and they experienced it and they just couldn't help but tell about it no matter how much it hurt no matter what it cost them here on earth, they were miraculously able to obey what God told them to do here. They were able to set their minds on the things that were above. Oh, my arm's being chopped off? Okay, that's okay. I'm setting my mind on the things that are above because they knew that they could do that because they'd been rescued from the powers beneath. And so today with the next 20-ish minutes I want to break this passage down that we just read piece by piece. I want to break it down piece by piece and examine it a little bit. You know, I think it's Easter today. And I think it would be a waste to celebrate Easter only just with, you know, bunnies and God forbid those peeps things that look like marshmallows, but they're really just garbage. Now, if I offended you with my peep stuff, I get into a little bit. Just, if you like peeps, God bless you. But we can agree. I can assume that we're all in agreement that that's not the only thing that there is to Easter. Otherwise, you wouldn't be in church. You agree with me with that. But it would be wrong for me to assume that we all accurately apply the resurrection of Jesus to our mindset here on earth. It would be wrong for me to assume that. And it's right of me to preach and to invite you deeper into the whole resurrection adventure thing. And that's what I'm going to do. As I break this down, I want to really address two things. The problem, everyone say problem, and the promise. Thank you. I I get even more insecure when you're not talking back to me. The problem and the promise. What's the problem that Paul addresses here? And more importantly, what is the promise that he recalls? So first of all, the problem. The problem that he's addressing in these verses, is really just found in the command. He says, seek the things that are above if you've been raised with Christ. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God and set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are of the earth. So the problem is that we don't do that, right? That's the problem. We don't do that. 
you need to understand, and I need to understand, that our fundamental issue on earth, and our struggle on earth, isn't just the bad stuff we do, or the bad stuff we think, and the bad stuff that happens out there. It's not the things that we seek, or that we do, it's the things that we're not doing. It's the person that we're not seeking. And then, because we're not seeking him, there's this vacuum that's left, and we do alternative things. And that's what Paul's addressing here. A physicist will tell you that coldness is not really a thing. It's just the absence of heat. A physicist, he or she, will tell you that darkness isn't necessarily a substantive thing. It's just the absence of light. And I can tell you that though evil is a thing and the devil is real, nonetheless, qualitatively and substantively, evil is really just the absence or the rejection of Jesus. The problem is, is that we don't seek him. We reject him. We, we don't set our minds on him. We, we set our minds on other things that are of the earth and it just takes up so much space in our worries and fears Paul's addressing this this big problem. Our primary issue is not that we do evil. It's that we don't do good. We don't walk in the light. We we don't follow Jesus and reflect him. Romans 3 says, no one seeks God. No, not one. So what's the problem? We don't seek God. He's saying, seek God. Seek the things that are above. We don't seek God. Whether you're visiting for the first time today, or you're a fully-fledged member or hotshot pastor, your problem is my problem. We don't seek God. Earthly futility, wasted earthly futility is just the air we breathe. Happy Easter. But check this out. Don't forget, stay with me, because this is a two-part message, but we have to address this problem first. How would we break this down? How, how can we understand the problem? When Paul says, set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are of the earth. What are the things that are on the earth that they were setting their minds on that he's warning them of? That he's lovingly shepherding them saying, don't set your mind on these things. What are those earthly things? Well, maybe it's pride. Right? Like, thinking too much of yourself is a problem. Or as a friend of mine said, or the pride of just thinking of yourself too much is a problem. Well, maybe the problem is pride. Uh, What about materialism? You know, we're Americans. We can deal with this one, right? Uh, Paul says, seek the things that are above and not the things on the earth. What if the things that are on the earth that he's talking about are literally like things, right? That could be it. Like, if you think that you are impressive because of the stuff that you own, like a bigger truck, cooler house, you need to know that Jesus isn't super impressed. Or your success in your career, Jesus isn't impressed. Or, I might get a little personal now, so just be careful. If you have 5,000 followers and your last post garnered 300 likes in like just a few hours, I can guarantee you that Jesus wasn't one of them. But when he says, seek, your, 
seek the things that are above, not the things on the earth, even though that's, that's reasonable to think about pride and materialism, I actually don't think that that's what Paul was pinpointing in the context of this letter. I think he was dealing and addressing an earthly mindset where one was not thinking of oneself as too great, but so bound in their thinking here on earth that the people in Colossae were thinking of themselves as too small. And based on the context, I think that's those, those mindsets of smallness is what Paul was addressing. People were not setting their minds on God, and so they were given to fear and, and worry and striving and religious performance. He wrote this letter to a church in a city called Colossae. Everyone say Colossae. Colossae. Might be the first time you've said that, right, for some of us. Colossae is, was a city that's all too similar to our beloved San Marcos. If you were in first century Rome and you were traveling around the empire and someone stopped you and you're like, hey, where do you live? And you were from Colossae? Here's what you would say. You'd be like, oh, well, I live in the Phrygia area, like a long ways inland from Ephesus. You would never lead with, oh, I'm from Colossae, because people would be like, well, what's that? What's that? Now check this out. When I'm traveling around the nation or abroad and someone asks, hey, where's your church? I say, well, it's just in from Martindale, right? <laughs> Martindale joke. If you're from Martindale, don't be offended. Probably not, though. <laughs> I say just south of Austin, just north of San Antonio. And here's why I say all that geographical stuff. Because these people were struggling with an earthly insignificance. They were so bound with their earthly mindset that they just couldn't quite see how important they were to the risen Savior. They didn't see it. In church, based on what I can best discern by the Spirit of the living God, I think that the things that we do and the ways that we fail and the ways that we struggle is quite often because we don't quite see how precious and valuable our brief lives are before the God who wants us to see how important we are to his mission and to who he is and what he wants to do on the earth. That we could forever and ever praise and glorify him and not praise and glorify our fears and our failures. I think it's really similar. We strive. We don't see how precious we are in God's eyes and so we don't seek that value. And so we, we try to perform for God. We, we, we hope that if we just work hard enough to do religious things, then we'll be accepted by God because we can't seek him and, and understand that we are accepted. That's why he paid such a high price. And we worry because there's something in the back of our minds that, that's so given to fear and accusation. And when the devil brings shame upon us on an earthly mindset, we can see there's a little bit of truth to the judgment. It's not just that the religious guy is a little bit uh, self-righteous and annoying. He, we are at times, right? But it's that there's an element of truth in it. We know that we've sinned against the righteous God by what we've done on earth. And we know that in heaven, he has something more for us that, that we can't quite crack. And, and, and yet, 
we're stuck in this moment of judgment and accusation, and we become our own worst accusers. We think so small of ourselves, and we, we don't get over it. We can't. This is a problem. And that, listen, this isn't just point one of my sermon, which it is. This is a big issue that's shipwrecking lives, families, legacies, and callings. It's a big problem. So what do we do with it? Typically on earth, if there's a problem, we seek what? We look for solutions. Try to set that one up on a tee for you. But that's what we do. We, we look for solutions. And, and you would think that that's the context here. Pa- Paul says, you don't seek God, so seek a way. Work hard. Go to church a lot and read your Bible and don't drink and don't smoke and rinse and repeat. Just do it over and over again. Now, is that good? Maybe it's kind of technically an okay advice, but the problem is, is if your problem is that you're not seeking God and your solution is just more not seeking God but seeking things to do on earth to fix yourself, well, it just creates more of the problem. So what do we do? It just creates more and more. This is what's so glorious about our God that is matchless. When there is a problem, he doesn't just offer a solution. He offers a promise that eats all the problems and solution problems for lunch. A promise that overrides all of our striving and performance and failing. It's the promise of his gospel that he performs, that he completes. At the end of chapter 2, I'm going to give you a little more context at the end of chapter 2, just the passages right before what we, we just read, Paul is kind of addressing that whole issue about, hey, you know, there's a problem, and when you keep trying to perform religious rules, it just gets, makes everything worse. So verse 20 says of chapter 2, If with Christ you have died to the elemental spirits of the world, why? As if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that are all perished as they're used. According to human traditions and precepts. These indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. My life is a story of the fact that dead religious solutions, attempts to try to better yourself and fix yourself, work about as good as those New Year's resolutions that you started a few months ago, right? Remember those? It doesn't work. Or it creates more of the same problem that we're deceived by. But let me show you a greater promise. And with this verse that I just read and leading back into the verses we first read, there, is, there are two parallel progressions that we need to be aware of. So he just said, if you've died, why do you submit to these earthly regulations? And then there's another if, the very first verse that we read this morning. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. So here's this progression. If you've died, why are you doing all this stuff? Like you're condemned still. If you've died, why are you doing all this stuff? And if you've raised, why aren't you Seeking the better stuff. Now, when he says if twice, is he questioning their stand before God? Like, is he saying, if if you're saved, if you know God, if you've been made new? 
is he questioning where they stand before God? Check out this next progression. Verse 3, what we read today. For you have died. This is the promise. You have died. And your life is hidden with God in Christ. Everyone say hidden. Verse 4. When Christ, everyone say when. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Takes that if and rips it to shreds. You've died. Stop submitting to all these regulations and condemnation and worse problem making. And you've raised, it says your life is hidden. I want to break down that word because that's a strange word. What does that mean, your life is hidden? Paul is kind of recalling a few times where uh, in the Psalms or in Isaiah, they use this term hidden. Uh, David was recalling back to how God protected him and against all his accusers that wanted to kill him, he hid him as like under his wings, he uses the prophetic imagery. And Paul is hearkening back to that. He's saying, you've died, you've raised, you're hidden, you're secure. All of the accusations against you, all of the fears and worries, there is a greater promise and you are secure under the arms of someone eternally and infinitely way stronger than you. You're hidden in him. The problem is that you don't seek God. But the promise is that God has sought you. The gospel is the good news that God became man in Jesus Christ. He lived the life that we should have lived. He died the death that we should have died in our place. On the third day, he rose again from the dead, proving that he is God and gaining the power to offer salvation to anyone who would repent and believe the good news. That's the gospel. Growing up, I thought I knew all about the gospel. You know, I was like Nacho Libre. I would say, you know, they think I don't know a boatload of stuff about the gospel, but I do. And I sure did think I knew a lot, I, but I didn't seek God. You know, I went to church, but that was just to seek my own betterment, my own glory. That was, that was my little issue. I went to the church and went to the mass and stand up, sit down, fight, fight, fight. But I, I didn't seek God. I sought my own worldliness and religion was just kind of a part of that. And I, I couldn't seek God. I want to clarify that. I couldn't seek God. I walked in darkness because I was darkness. I was bound by my earthly mindset and my perversion. And I, and I tried to justify it. You know, I had that context that kind of made myself feel better about myself. I played baseball. And I would judge myself not based on what I was designed to be, but based on the guys I considered who were a little bit more perverse than me. And here's how I put it. It's like, man, these guys are kind of mistreating multiple girls at once, but I just go, I stick with one at a time. And that's kind of made sense to me at the time. I don't know why. And I was good, or at least I was better than the worst. And I tried hard, at least what I thought, but trying is lying. But when I was not seeking God and I was seeking sin, God was seeking a sinner like me. And he brought young students into my life to pursue me 
with anointing and power. One of those young students is now my wife. We were students together in a campus ministry. The summary of it is, is that I died and I was risen to new life with Jesus and I've been hidden with him for almost 20 years now. You don't seek God. But God has been seeking you and he's never going to stop. He wants you to be eternally hidden with him and secure. And the fight for your life, for your vibrancy, is to rest in that. Fight and rest. It's a little mysterious. To, to the degree to which you actually rest and peacefully understand the promise of God is the degree to which that you can thrive in the adventure of life that Jesus has for you, that he's promised you. Your most important opportunity here on earth is to seek the one who's above the things that are here on earth. In fact, the most secure thing that you can ever see in your life comes from the unseen God. That's the mystery of life. And if you can rest in him and set your mind on him, not pretending like there's not difficulties around you that are hard not to set your minds on, but if, if you can functionally set your mind on the rock-solid truth of who he is and what he's done, you will thrive, and you'll do well, and you'll be fruitful, and you won't waste this brief minute that you have on earth. And if you don't, you'll be diminished and reduced, and you'll just try your best to make up for it. But if you set your eyes on God... It's like you're enlarged. You, you, you look to things that very really are bigger than your issues. And let me give you some, another Easter promise. All your problems will not go away. Your worries and fears, that they'll stay there. But if you can set your minds on God, they'll be reduced. From the beasts that haunt you to the little cockroaches that you step on. That's the promise of God. It's... It's a promise that's way weightier than all of our issues. If you seek him and you know that there's just a greater feast that awaits you, there's a, a greater plan, there's a greater promise, then all of the other things that you could consume are seen in context of that. Now, I want to share with you a story as we're drawn to a close that puts this in perspective. Now, I shared this last year, but I'm going to share it again. Uh, I'm from Oregon, so we like to recycle. So I'm going to go ahead and recycle stories, too. <laughs> Set your minds on God and the promise that's ahead of you. Not on the things right here. There's something better for you. So here's the story. About a year ago, my wife and I, uh, we were going out on a date. And it, it had been a little while since we'd gone out to a nice place and eaten together and had fun and been able to talk without our four kids, the little Dusans, the little Dusanimals, kind of getting in that space, that marriage space. Uh, and so we were ready. We, we were getting dressed. We had our kids in their pyjamas. We were so excited to go out. And uh, we had fed our kids. We were dressed. And I was awaiting that promise of that great meal and that great time with my wife, right? And as the babysitter was getting close to coming, I, we were just doing like a last minute cleanup and I was kind of instinctively grabbing stuff and I grabbed one of those goldfish off the ground. You know those little cheese goldfish? We call them babysitters sometimes. Uh, I grabbed it off the ground 
And I had this little small instinctive moment. And I approached that sucker to my mouth. And I'll stop the story right there. You don't have to know what happened at that point. But let's just address this. Would it have been wrong to eat that goldfish? Well, yes. Yes, it would be wrong. But more importantly, why? What's more important than whether or not it was right or wrong is the fact that I had a greater promise in front of me and I didn't need to eat that goldfish. (laughs) And it's easier to laugh at that example, but what about the things that we struggle with that are real and they're in front of us and they're tangible and we, we ask ourselves all the time, is it wrong to do this? Is it wrong to click on this? Is it wrong to eat this? Is it wrong to think this? Is it wrong to say this or do? Well, that's just the wrong question. We have a greater promise that we're hidden in. That's the right understanding. And only when we understand that greater promise can we understand and sort out all the stuff going on on earth. And so I want to ask you, what is your goldfish? What is the thing that you might struggle to get your mind off of or the thing that you really want to consume? What is the thing taking up way too much real estate in your mind? That, that's, it's, it's a very real thing. It's a very real hurt. It's a very real problem. It's a very real temptation. But what is that goldfish? And do you understand that there is a greater promise that awaits you? What is it? Is it financial fear? Is it financial success? Uh, relational brokenness? unforgiveness, career ambition, guilt, shame. What is that thing? And as the Holy Spirit is specifically convicting you, I want to remind you, Paul says in this passage that Christ is your life, singular. But the command is, he says, set your minds, plural. So meaning this, We have one life in Christ together as a church, as a people. But for us to set our minds on his word, it's a group project. It's a plural thing that God unites. We don't just announce growth groups because, you know, there's, let's put some extra religious stuff on your calendar besides Sunday morning. We announce it because I I need it. I need other disciples to help me grow in being a disciple to set my mind on God. I need to pray through very real things so that I can set my mind on him. What is your goldfish? Would you pray with me? Lord, help us. Lord, help us. Lord, help us to see the promise that's greater than, uh, way greater than the Easter brunch and help us to, underst- to enjoy our time with family and holidays knowing that there's something greater. Amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet with me? We're going we're gonna to close this service by singing to ourselves. The, the song, we're just going to sing the refrain of a song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And I'm encouraging you to encourage yourself Preach to yourself as you're singing this song. If you say, well, wait a minute, it's all silent here, and when you sing, the other guy's going to hear me. Let, me. let me encourage you. The other guy is just as insecure as you are, so we cancel each other out with our insecurity. 
So sing to yourself to turn your eyes upon Jesus. And I'm going to lead us in this song. And the only version I know is the Alan Jackson twang version. So just go with me in that. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. One more time. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace.